The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. If you're new here, my name's Brian. I'm the lead pastor and uh, have the privilege of opening the scriptures this morning. We got a lot of work to do. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open it to Acts chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there are paperback ones there in the seat back in front of you. And uh, you can follow along. It's also going to be on the screens, but I would prefer you have it in your hand rather than just relying on the screens. Uh, If you are new here and looking to get more information about us or get involved in any way, uh, you can go to our website, mdcashville.org slash connect, or uh, pick up the blue and gray connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you are a first time, uh, if, if, if you're feeling it out for the first time uh, and turn that in, we're going to give $5 to uh, Haywood County Flood Relief. And so uh, that's something we're doing for the next little while. So we'd love to be generous on your behalf. And you can just put that, if you do it online, it'll be automatic. But if you fill out a physical card, you can put them in the black boxes in the back there. And uh, we will get back to you and, and know how we can pray for you and help you get involved. So we've been working our way through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts really is about the power of God at work through ordinary, average, everyday people like you and me to bring salvation to the world. And lately, we've been in chapters 8 through 10, and we've been seeing God bring all kinds of unlikely people into his kingdom. We saw uh, the gospel go to the Samaritans who were hated by the Jews and uh, you know, probably were about as far away from the kingdom as you could have imagined at that time. And yet God sees fit for the gospel to go to the Samaritans. And then we see Simon, uh, who was a magician, someone involved in the occult. He gives his life to Jesus. Then we see this Ethiopian eunuch, this uh, tr- sort of treasury official from another country, and he gives his life to Jesus. And then uh, in chapter 9, we saw Saul, who was the, the, uh, the number one enemy of the Christian church. He surrenders his life to the lordship of Jesus. And today that continues. We're going to see uh, how God works in the lives of Gentiles. So these are the first group of non-Jewish people to sort of come into the kingdom of God. We're focusing back on the ministry of Peter. Now, we've not heard from Peter since about chapter 5 of the book of Acts. What had happened was uh, Peter and the apostles had stayed behind in Jerusalem after the martyrdom of Stephen in chapter 7 and Saul's persecution of the church beginning in chapter 8. Those apostles, they were sort of like, hey, we're going to go down with the ship if the ship's going down. But now that Saul is a believer in Jesus, uh, they, they feel the freedom to minister elsewhere. And so uh, Peter and some of the other apostles are, are headed out and they're preaching the gospel, but they're also visiting established congregations by this point and they're teaching and they're encouraging. Now we're going to end up skipping just a couple little sections of the end of chapter 9 because I want to try to get through all of chapter 10 today and there's 48 verses and you know how I preach. So we're going to be here a little bit. Uh, but let me summarize what happens in chapter, at the end of chapter 9 and kind of why I decided to skip it. Uh, what we see here at the end of chapter 9, verses 32 to 43, are two healing miracles that are performed by Peter. Now, we've seen God use Peter for healing previously in the book of Acts, which is one reason why I decided to just kind of glance by it. Um, 
Not that they're not important, right? But we've sort of seen this happen before. What happens is Peter travels from Jerusalem to uh, a city called uh, Lida. And then from there, he goes on to Joppa. And he heals a a man named uh, Aeneas, who was bedridden for, I think it was eight years. And then he revives this woman, this, this faithful saint named Tabitha. And the text tells us, also known as Dorcas, which you're like, you probably could have left that out. But uh, nevertheless, she died. She was a faithful saint. She died, but the Lord was not done with her yet. And so God uses Peter to bring life back to her, to actually revive her, her body. And then she begins to minister once again. The point in all of that is this. Peter is doing these miracles in the example of Jesus, with the power of Jesus, that leads in both cases to salvation of others through Jesus, all for the glory of Jesus. Which helps us understand that this ministry of Jesus is a supernatural ministry. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we may not experience uh, the, the, the Spirit's moving the same way quite that it happened in the book of Acts, but the, the way the Spirit moves among us is no less miraculous, no less otherworldly. You realize that every time someone gives their life to Jesus, it is a miracle. I think a lot of people who are not Christians think that, that becoming a Christian is akin to switching political parties. So we've all seen, you know, stories in the news, for instance, of, of politicians who, you know, were Republicans and then became Democrats or vice versa, you know, or, or maybe they became independents. And they have this philosophy, they have this worldview, this understanding that over time they realize is not compatible with the party they're, they're currently associated with. And so they switch parties. And that's a purely really intellectual exercise, right? Uh, I think I'm over in this camp now. And they switch. And a lot of people think that becoming a Christian is like that. We just make some mental ascent to some doctrines and we sort of switch from non-belief or from belief in something else over to belief in Jesus. But that's not at all how it works. The gospel comes to us who are dead spiritually in our sins and trespasses. And the gospel makes us alive It's not just a mental ascent, it's a conversion by the power of God in his gospel through his spirit. So Acts is showing us that Christianity is not just a set of dry doctrines, but it's an otherworldly power that converts. And we're going to see more of that uh, as we get through the book of Acts here in chapter 10. Now, because we have a ton of verses to cover, usually I read the entire passage and then I pray for us and we dive in. Today, I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to read a chunk at a time as we work through it. Sound good? All right, let me pray, and then we'll get going. Father, what a joy it is to be with your people this morning. I thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to gather in this room under the authority of your word, in the presence of your spirit, and to open the scriptures and ask for you to speak to us. Lord, you know the time that I have put in, the preparation, uh, but yet... I'm a sinner in need of a savior, in need of grace. And so I pray that you would take my feeble attempt at at, um, coming up with a a sermon and that you would empower it by your spirit to affect the hearts and lives of your people. Holy Spirit, please fill us, fill me, empower me as I proclaim this word that your people might be challenged and encouraged and helped. And I pray today that if there's anyone who is not yet a believer in in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would cross that threshold of faith today and enter your kingdom. I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, 
Amen. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1, and uh, we'll read down to verse 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, it's about 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, if you're a note taker, my first uh, point here, I got four of them today, bonus, uh, is an angel's visitation. An angel's visitation. So we see this, the scene sort of shifts here to Caesarea, and we meet Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. The text tells us he's a centurion, which means he's in charge of a hundred other soldiers, okay? A century was a hundred soldiers, and six centuries made up a cohort. So he's part of this Italian cohort that's got 600 soldiers, and he's in charge of 100 of them. So he's a pretty high-up guy, uh, militarily speaking. But we find something interesting about Cornelius. He's a God-fearer, which would be crazy for a Roman to follow the God of the people they're oppressing. You see, the, the Romans were polytheistic. They had all kinds of different gods, but this brother was a monotheist. He was following, to the best of his ability, the God of Israel. He was obeying the Ten Commandments. Now, he was not yet a full proselyte to Judaism because in order to become a full proselyte, you have to be circumcised. And any adult male would want to think twice about that. Just saying. But we find that he's devout. Okay? Cornelius is devout. He feared the Lord. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? What it means to fear the Lord, to be open to him, humble, asking, what do you want? What does your word say? How do I honor you? He's generous to the needy. He gave alms to those who had need. And then it says he prayed often and he prayed fervently. So in many ways, this brother is a better Christian than many of us in the room. And yet he wasn't even a believer yet. See, because there's a difference between religion, being religious, and being regenerate. This brother was honestly seeking God, but he was doing all these works to try to please God. And what he's going to find out in a little while is that the only thing that saves, the only thing that saves is clinging with the empty hands of faith to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I wonder about you this morning. Are you clinging to the finished work of Jesus in your place, living the life you couldn't, dying the death that you deserved, rising again? Or are you clinging to some form of religion, some form of performance-based acceptance? I do these things, right? I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, and therefore God should accept me. What I find interesting with Cornelius is that here's a man with power, with wealth, uh, the centurions made on average five times the income of a normal soldier. He's got power, he's got wealth, he's got influence. And yet he knew he needed God. 
I think oftentimes we assume that people like that, who have power and wealth and influence and prestige, um, it's a harder sell, right? The, the gospel is a harder sell to those kinds of people. They're not open to the things of God because they have all of their needs sort of taken care of. Um, but l- let's not rob people of the opportunity to hear about Jesus just because we assume they don't want to hear it. If they don't want to hear it, they'll tell us, <laughs> right? They'll make it very clear. But we've seen cases, you know, even in our own uh, country. I mean, this is a weird example, but I think it's a faithful example. Uh, it was a year or two ago that Kanye West gave his life to the Lord. And at first we're all like, okay, let's see, right? Let, maybe he did. But I think if you've, if you've kept up with his story, it's incredible that he is a faithful follower of Jesus. Did you know there was one occasion after his conversion where he came into a church very similar to this and sat in the back and uh, the preacher's preaching. And he's like, I think that's Kanye in the back. And after the service, Kanye comes up to him and he goes, hey, I just became a believer and I need someone to disciple me. Will you do that? Yeah, it, it, you know, and his music's weird, yes. Uh, but um, but he, he is trying the best he knows how to follow Jesus and it's costing him greatly, okay? But here's a guy in our world you would have never thought would come to the Lord and yet... He's a, he's a follower of Jesus now. So Cornelius, he's a, he's a God-fearer. He's praying at, at 3 p.m., which is one of the hours of prayer for the Jews. So he's following the sort of Jewish uh, temple calendar in terms of his prayers. This angel shows up to him, gives him a supernatural vision, uh, and it scares him. I mean, this is crazy because he's a soldier. He's trained to sort of keep his composure, right, be able to, to uh, have, have clear mind and, and head during, uh, you know, pretty traumatic circumstances, and the vision of this angel freaks him out. But look at what the angel doesn't say. I'm I'm really intrigued by this. Uh, If we look back at the text here, the angel comes to him, and, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, Here we go, verse um, 5, 4, verse 4. The angel says to him, "'Your prayers and your alms have ascended to God as a memorial.'" And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. We find out in Acts chapter 11, uh, a little more detail to that, that, that conversation. The angel actually tells him, go get Peter and bring him back because he's going to tell you how to be saved. <laughs> so here's what the angel doesn't say. The angel doesn't say, Cornelius, uh, God has seen your prayers. You're a good man. You're, you are doing well. Keep it up, buddy. You're not far from heaven. Just keep going. Be, be a good person and you will get to heaven one day. He doesn't say that. He says, he says um, Cornelius, you're really good. God sees you and you need to be saved. And Peter's going to tell you how to be saved. And some of us might look at that and go, well, this doesn't make any sense because from all accounts, this brother's got his act together, right? He is he is. He's got power, he's got influence, he's got wealth, but he's a God-fearer, and, and he's humble, and he's generous, and he prays a lot. And like, it, why isn't that enough? He, this guy has his act together. Well, here's the reality. Having your act together doesn't save you. Having your act together is not what makes you acceptable before God. Every religion on this planet and our own hearts are bent towards justifying ourselves, proving ourselves, showing that we are worthy of acceptance. And when we think we've got our act together, it makes us, it gives us this, 
this smug sense of superiority and we look down our nose at other people who don't have their act together the way we have our act together. It makes us prideful. But when we know, we absolutely know, we do not have our act together and we know we are a hot mess, it gives us a, a sense of inferiority and shame because we compare ourselves to others and we go, why can't I get my act together like those people? But here's the reality. The good news, the good news for every one of us in the room this morning, Jesus gives his absolute best to people who can admit that they do not have their act together. So are you, are you proud of your performance this morning? Are you crushed by your failure? Or are you resting in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf? Now, let's look. I got a long section to read here. Okay, I'm going to start at verse 9, and we'll go to 29 or so. You, you ready? Okay. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry because it was noon. And he, it doesn't say that. It's just my little inner... It's lunchtime. He's hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. Peter has a thing with three. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out us to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his household to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. We'll stop right there. Now, next, I want you to see Peter's reformation. Peter's reformation. So these, these men are called by Cornelius to go... Uh, get Peter. Now, of course, they don't know whether Peter even exists. They're going off this vision that their boss had. And so they go, and while they're doing so, Peter receives this corresponding vision from the Lord. Some have called this Peter's pig in a blanket dream. 
right? Uh, because it's full, the sheet is full of all kinds of unclean, ceremonially unclean animals. And, uh, and so the Lord, the, this voice says, rise, kill, and eat, which is our hunter's proof text, yeah? Uh, all hunters are like, rise, kill, and eat, you know? And you vegetarians are freaking out, but uh, it's okay. It's right there. And, but, but, but Peter's like, no, 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 I can't do that. These are unclean animals. I would never do that, Lord. And the Lord has to rebuke him three times, just like he did when he said, I'm going to die. Just like he did when he said, you're going to deny me. I mean, it, it happened over and over and over again with Peter. But these three men arrive. And I just imagine for a second what they might be thinking. These guys come from Caesarea to Joppa. They're going off this dream their boss had, right? He's like, hey, there's a guy, I think, named Peter. Go find him. And so they're going to this house, and they're like, okay, there is a guy named Simon the Tanner. Is there a guy named just, I know this is crazy. Is there a guy named Peter uh, who's staying here? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and these, I mean, it's got to fill these guys with faith, right? Like, wow, okay, this, this vision might actually be reality. So the Holy Spirit tells them to go with him. He does ask them, why are you here? Like, why'd you come? And they start to, they're like, look, it's a long story. Just come with us, <laughs> right? We'll tell you on the way. Um, but here's, here's the thing. It's starting, it, this vision is starting to make sense to Peter, that it's less about food and more about people. See, this gospel, Peter's starting to realize, is actually, actually really for all nations. Like before this, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, um, his disciples heard that as go into all the world and make disciples of Jews of all nations because they didn't believe that the gospel was for Gentiles, which is crazy, because if you, if you go back through the history of the scripture, here's what you find. Uh, all the way back to Abraham, right? God gave Abraham a son, and he said, through you, through this one man, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth, okay? Ultimately, that would be fulfilled in Jesus coming through that same family line, um, but the people of God, the Jews, were set apart. They were called. They were given God's word. They were, they were at times given his spirit. And they were called to be a light to the nations so that they would draw other people, including the Gentiles, into the kingdom of God. But over the course of time, they became very proud that they were the called people of God and others weren't. They became very proud that they were set apart and they weren't like these other people. And you start to see in the scriptures a disdain for anyone who's unclean, which would be anyone who's not Jewish, right? So Gentile just meant non-Jewish. And so over the course of time, the Jews began to hate the Gentiles, literally hate them. And the Gentiles hated the Jews for hating them. And so there was a whole lot of contention. I mean, you take, you take all of the racial tension in our country, all the political tension, all the COVID vaccine mask tension, right? All that. And you amplify all of that combined by like a thousand, and that's the Jew-Gentile tension. So this was a big deal. Now, obviously, that tension was about this sort of religious and ethnic um, distinction, but I think there's an application for us here, for all of us, because it, it applies to the ways that all of us try to divide ourselves from the other. Like, you can be a follower of Jesus. You can be a believer and you can be blind to all of the non-gospel things that you cling to for identity, for self-worth, for meaning, 
and for value over and above other people. And anyone who does not check all the same boxes that you check is then the other, right? And so it, whether, golly, depending on, you know, politics, depending on income level, depending on education, are they pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine? Are they pro-mask or anti-mask? And we make moral declarations about those people and we distance ourselves from those people because they're not like us. But hear me clearly, brothers and sisters, our privilege together here is to preserve the essence of the gospel for those who are not even here yet. Because there are people who are waking up all over this city without Jesus. And one day, the other is going to show up here. Whether by invitation from you or whether by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to come in. And my question to us is what message are they going to hear from us? Are, we got to be very careful that the message that they hear is not Jesus plus check all the boxes I check. Our gospel cannot be Jesus plus, you got to look like me, dress like me, vote like me, believe what I believe about this and that and the other thing. Okay, that is not the gospel. That, that's anti-gospel. And so Peter is beginning to see that these long-held biases that he had are not godly. And that this gospel is way bigger than he ever realized it was. And so he goes to Caesarea he enters a Gentile's home, which he says, you know how unlawful it is for me to be here. And it's not that it was against the Jewish law. It was against their tradition. Okay? It, it, was, it was taboo. And he's like, look, y'all know I should not be here. <laughs> right? If other Jews find out I'm here, it's not going to go well for me. But I have learned, God is showing me that I should not call anyone common or unclean. I shouldn't have these biases against anybody because the gospel's for everybody. One, thing I'll, one other thing I'll point out here before we get to point three of four. Whew, this is going to be a good one. Um, don't you love the expectancy of Cornelius? Okay, he has this dream, this vision, which we don't know how common those were to him, but it seems like it's probably out of character for how he normally uh, related to God. And and the, the, the Lord in the vision says, you know, send people to, to Joppa, go get Peter. He doesn't know whether a Peter even exists, right? He sends these guys, not knowing if they're going to come back and go, we looked and there's nobody by that name here. And yet he invites his friends and his family to come be part of this thing. And, and when Peter gets there, all these people are in the room and they're ready and they're eager to hear what Peter has to say. They're eager to hear the word of God. Now, this was not in my notes, but I'm going to say the little side note here. Um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> Just bear with me. Uh, we've never really celebrated that as a church. Um, I think one time somebody gave me a six-pack of beer. So that was pretty cool. But other than that, uh, you know, it's not a thing, right? We don't talk about it. We don't do it. But if you want to get me a gift for Pastor Appreciation Month, here's the, here's the one thing that would mean the world to me in both services, that people get here on Sunday early and eager and expectant to 
to hear what God has to say to us through his word. That would fill your pastor's heart with such joy. To, I'm, no shame to any of you who trickled in, okay, at 9, 15, or 25, or whatever. But, uh, and I know this is the early service, and it's hard. But, but golly, it would fill my heart with such joy to see the people of God come into this place, get here early. And by early, I don't mean on time. I mean early. Uh, and and sit, seated and ready, Bibles open, like just eager to hear what God has to say to us. Would you do that for your pastor? We'll see. Okay. Uh, I love y'all, but you cannot make it on time to save your life. All right, let's look at, I'm going to skip a couple verses and I'll explain them, but let's pick it up in verse 34. Basically what happens is when Peter gets to, to Cornelius, I want to call him corndog so bad. Cornelius doesn't roll off the tongue very well, but nevertheless, um, Peter gets there and he's like, hey, why did you send for me? And then, and then Cornelius explains to him his vision. So I'm not going to recap that again, but here's Peter in verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. A better translation of that word is actually welcome, not acceptable, but nevertheless. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news and peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John had proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not only to, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach, the, uh, preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So now we see gospel proclamation, right? Gospel proclamation. Peter arrives. Cornelius tells him about a vision. And now Peter knows why he's there. He's there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And by the way, you still see this happen, uh, especially in third world countries, uh, people will get a vision to go to a certain place and ask about Jesus, and someone will explain the gospel to them. Like, this is the way it still happens today. So he begins to explain the gospel, and he starts with this. God shows no partiality. Literally, that translates as God does not accept man's face. Here's what that means. God does not approve or accept based on superficiality, based on externals, like ethnicity, or gender, or performance. In other words, Cornelius does not need to become a Jew in order to become acceptable to God, a controversy that'll take place later in the, in the New Testament, uh, of which Peter sort of gets embroiled in that. But he's not saying that he doesn't have to become a Christian. He's not saying, hey, you're righteous on your own and you don't need to convert to Christianity. Otherwise, he wouldn't have continued to proclaim the gospel. So he's just telling him, God sees you and he welcomes you as a, as a Gentile. You are welcome to come to Jesus. All people are welcome to come to Jesus. And then he begins this gospel and he has, has three distinct parts as we've seen before with Peter's gospels. The life, the death, 
the resurrection of Jesus. So in verse 38, he talks about the exemplary life of Jesus. That Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and full of power. And that he lived a life of perfect service to God and to man. This is really important because you and I, I mean, we fail to live up to our own standards of ourselves, much less the standards of a righteous and holy God. But here's Jesus, full of the Spirit, full of power. The text tells us God was with him, which is a very profound statement. I looked this up just to see how often, you know, that uh, phrase shows up. And, uh, and here's what I found. God was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joshua. The Lord was with Samuel, right? The Lord was with David. I mean, this is profound. The Lord was with Jesus. He was full of the Spirit, full of power, living a life of perfect service to God and to man. But then verse 39, he tells us, Jesus died on a tree. That's an interesting phrase, right? Why would he use tree instead of cross? Peter has a habit of this. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, right? When he says that uh, uh, in his, he bore our sins in his body on the tree, because Peter knows that Cornelius is a God-fearer, so he's at least familiar with the Jewish scriptures, and he's giving an allusion to Deuteronomy 21 when it says that anyone who is hanged on a tree is cursed. In other words, he's pointing out to us that Jesus didn't just die, he died as a curse. He took the curse that we deserve on himself. See, when you and I choose to be our own authority, when we look at, the, at the, the, the good, right, holy authority of God and we go, nah, I'm going to do my own thing, whether that's being very, very bad and kind of breaking all the rules or whether that's by being very, very good and trying to obey all the rules to prove ourselves to God, we're rejecting his authority. When we are, when we are shamelessly rebellious, when we are, when we are oblivious, to God in our lives and just sort of living for ourselves every single day. All of that is called sin. And God cannot accept sin of any kind. And so we, by our nature and our choice, are sinners who deserve justice, punishment um, from God against our sin. But Jesus, after living a life that we could never live, took the curse upon himself. He lived a life that earned blessing then he took our curse on himself and he died in our place for our sin. But then verse 40, he tells us that God raised him. He says, we ate and drank with the resurrected Jesus. In other words, he was victorious. Christ's payment for sin was sufficient. Death could not hold him. Uh, Romans 4 tells us that he was uh, that, that Jesus was lifted up onto the cross for our transgressions. But then it says, and he was raised for our forgiveness. Um, the word for there can be translated as because of. He was raised because of our justification, right? Meaning that the death of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for every sin. And death, which is a consequence of sin, could no longer hold Jesus because the payment had been made in full. Does it make sense? Probably not, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The death of Jesus was sufficient to pay for all of our sins, so sufficient that death could not hold Jesus any longer, and he rose from the grave. He was victorious. He was triumphant over sin and death. 
And so Jesus took the judgment that we deserve and he absorbed it into himself and he gave us back nothing but blessing, which is to be received with the empty hands of faith. Peter is reminding us Jesus is Lord and God and Savior and Christ and King and Judge. And every prophet in every book of the Bible is pointing towards him. And for those who would surrender themselves to the lordship of Jesus, they will never be condemned again because Jesus absorbed all of our condemnation in himself. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. Not try harder, do better, get your act together. It's trust in the one who's done it for you. And it is especially good news to those of us who know that we do not have our act together. (laughs) If you've been around for a while, you've heard me read this quote before, but it's just so good, I have to read it again. It's from Luther, one of the fathers of the Reformation. And uh, if you don't know much about Luther's story, uh, he was was a man of many vices um, and a man who genuinely strived to honor God. But he would often talk about how he'd have visits from the enemy who would whisper to him condemnation because of his failures. Uh, and in a letter he was writing to a, another brother, he, he said this, the, the devil would often come to him and say things like this, Martin, you are a liar, greedy, lecherous, a blasphemer, a hypocrite. You cannot stand before God. I wonder if any of you hear those kind of accusations in your own heart. Here's how Luther responded to that. Well, yes, I am. (laughs) And indeed, Satan, you don't know the half of it. I have done much worse than that. And if you care to give me your full list, I can no doubt add to it and make it more complete. But you know what? My Savior has died for all my sins. Those you mention, those I could add, and those indeed I have committed, but I'm so wicked, I'm unaware of having done so. It does not change the fact that Christ has died for all of them. His blood is sufficient. And on the day of judgment, I shall be exonerated because he has taken all my sins on himself and clothed me in his own perfect righteousness. Is that not good news? To those of us who continue to fail and continue to struggle and want to be holy and want to please the Lord, but get tripped up. And we feel that condemnation from the enemy, but we are reminded that in Christ, all of our sins have been paid for and we are clothed in his perfect righteousness. And it's good news. And so as Peter's proclaiming this gospel, my last little section here, verses 44 to 48, we're about to do it, y'all. We're getting through it. Almost 50 verses, we're going to make it. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, so he hadn't even completed his gospel message, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared... Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. My final point here is Cornelius' transformation. Cornelius' transformation. 
Cornelius, his friends, and his family, they hear this gospel message. They believe, they respond through repentance and faith, and they are baptized. Now, several times in the book of Acts, we've seen the gospel proclaimed. We've seen people respond, but the Holy Spirit has not fallen quite in this way. Uh, In fact, if you go back to the Samaritans, if you remember, uh, they responded to the gospel and were saved, but, but they had to go call for Peter to come from Jerusalem to Samaria to pray for them that they'd receive the Spirit in full. And even then, there were no tongues to speak of, right? No foreign, no other language. So what is unique about this instance? Um, what is another time in the book of Acts you can remember where the Holy Spirit fell and people spoke in other languages? Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. This is like a Gentile Pentecost. And, and what really is happening here is God is confirming to Peter, who is now one of the leaders of the early church, that these Gentiles belong to the new covenant family just the same way that Peter and the Jews belong to the new covenant family. In other words, you know, God is saying to Peter, hey, remember what happened to you when the Spirit fell? And y'all were talking in all these crazy languages and stuff and people were getting saved. That's what's happening now. It's happening to them too because they belong like you belong. There truly is no partiality with God. This is really important because these Gentiles, um, they had no Jewish tradition largely. I mean, you got Cornelius who's sort of a God-fearer, but none of the others had Jewish tradition. They didn't follow the laws or the ceremonies. They didn't really have the Jewish scriptures, and yet the gospel's coming to them too. It truly is for everyone, regardless of culture or language or ethnicity or background. And so with the confirmation that Peter receives of their genuine faith by the Spirit, they can now be baptized without hesitation. Uh, And notice the pattern we see in Acts, okay? Uh, Proclamation of the gospel, response through repentance and faith, baptism. Over and over and over again, we've seen that. Proclamation of the gospel, response to repentance and faith, baptism. Boom, boom, boom. It's the normative pattern throughout the New Testament. So Jesus commanded to be, he commanded baptism, didn't he? Go into the whole world, make disciples and baptize them. Make disciples and then baptize them. And so now Peter is commanding baptism as an act of obedience. Now listen, some of you in this room or watching online, you have surrendered to Jesus already, but you have not yet been obedient to take that next step of baptism. And it just so happens we have a baptism coming up next Sunday, uh, October the 3rd. We've got six individuals who are coming forward to be baptized, and I would love for that number to grow if you are convicted or convinced that you need to be baptized as a step of obedience to the Lord as well. Others of you are going to surrender to Jesus today. And I would implore you that your next step of obedience to the Lord is going to be baptism as well. Nevertheless, these disciples are are now followers of Jesus. They ask Peter to remain with them. They have the Spirit, but they still need help learning how to follow Jesus. And so Peter stays for a while to help them establish a firm foundation, like Colossians 2 says, to be rooted and built up. Right? So he stays with them to help them be rooted and built up because they didn't have the Jewish tradition or the Jewish scriptures to rely on. And this is growth. We're going to see this in the coming chapters, but this is growth for them as they learn who Jesus is and how to follow him. But it's also growth for Peter as he learns how to interact with Gentiles, something he's never done before. And so this is, this is growth in his maturity and his character as he learns how to relate to the Gentiles who are now part of the family of God. The other has become 
a brother. I just made that up. That's pretty good. Um, so as we, as we finish up, I've got four questions to put on the screen for you, uh, and then we are going to participate in communion. Uh, so I want to give you some space to do that, and then the band's going to return and lead us in a couple of final songs. Uh, you can write these down as they come, or you can take a picture of the screen once they are all up, uh, but I would, I would ask you to spend some time thinking about these. Number one, have I been converted? We, we, we've seen over and over again, these conversions have taken place throughout the book of Acts, these unlikely people who've come into the kingdom. Have I been converted? Have I surrendered to Jesus? Have I put my hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, am I receiving his grace to me with the empty hands of faith? If not, I would love to talk to you about doing that today and not to leave here without knowing that you belong to Christ. Second question, is there anything other than Jesus that I find myself clinging to for identity or worth? As we saw with, <coughs> with uh, uh Peter, right? There, there, were, there are things, there are identities that we cling to that are, that are not gospel, that make us judgmental of others, that, that make us feel superior or inferior to others. And, and it's natural. It can be vocation, it could be education, it could be, you know, where you stand on mass and vaccines and all that kind of stuff. It could be politics, it could be the way you raise your kids. I mean, is there anything that I'm clinging to other than Jesus for identity, for worth, that I need to let go of? Not that it's not an important thing, but it's not an, identi- it's not an identity to rest in. Okay? Third, how is the gospel an encouragement to me in times of doubt or failure or struggle? When I know that I know that I know that if I'm clinging to Jesus with the empty hands of faith, that I am accepted, that I am forgiven, that I'm clothed in his righteousness, how does that encourage me when I fail? Because we all fail right? Do I beat myself up and get down and feel like I've got to earn my way back to God's acceptance? Or can I run back to him like a little kid who trips and runs back to daddy and says, I'm, I hurt, right? How's the gospel an encouragement to me in doubt, failure, struggle? And then finally, is there a step of obedience the Lord is calling me to take? Again, for some of you, it might be to cross that threshold of faith, to come into the kingdom of God, Uh, to repent of your sin. That means to turn away from, to turn to God, Um, to believe that Jesus lived and died and rose for you. For others, maybe it's that step of baptism. For others, maybe it's the step of getting involved in the church, uh, filling out a connect card, being known, getting into a community group or going through membership class. I mean, there are all kinds. Maybe it's to put away a particular sin and walk in holiness. Maybe it's to forgive someone who's hurt you. Is there a step of obedience the Lord is calling me to take? today. All right, I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen for a few minutes for you. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to have just a moment of silence. So the band, you can come up, but let's keep it silent for a minute or two. There are communion cups in the seat backs there in front of you. Uh, If you don't get a cup, I don't know what that means. So I got this motion. Look around around for a communion cup if if there isn't one in the seat immediately in front of you. Uh, if you find that there's not one around you somewhere, you can raise your hand and we'll get you some. Uh, there's also a gluten-free cracker uh, that is at the giving box back there. Is that correct, Hannah? Back there. Okay. There's a gluten-free cracker there. I can't imagine the little wafer we have has gluten, but maybe it does. So uh, anyway, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to reflect 
on the gospel and what Jesus has done for you. And then you can uh, take the top off of that. There's a, there's a little wafer in there remembering the body of Jesus which was broken to make us whole. There's a, a, a juice there to remind us of the blood of Jesus which was spilled for us to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. And I'd invite you to participate at, in that at your own pace here uh, in just a moment. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us and for the opportunity to study the scriptures this morning. I pray that something that has been said this morning uh, would affect the hearts of the people in this room and online. I pray that you would help us, uh, Lord, to respond to you with repentance, with faith, uh, and with obedience, that you would help us to live out the beauty of the gospel uh, before others. And uh, Lord, we just, we want to be men and women who honor you. And so help us to let go of the things that are hindrances and to cling to you with all we have. We love you. We ask your blessing over our time of response as we participate in communion, as we sing songs, uh, reminding us of the beauty of the gospel. Would you be honored and glorified? Would you fill us with joy in your presence? We ask in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.